Welcome to Movie Moments, discussing the greatest movies of all time. Plus, all the newest films in theaters and streaming. Like us, rate us, share us. Here are your hosts, Mike Rags and Chuck Curry. All right, we're back with another edition of Movie Moments. Mike Rags and Chuck Curry talking the world of movies, past and present day. Uh, you can find us on Spotify and Apple, anywhere you listen to podcasts. And, of course, we're on uh, every midnight at uh, on sun, on Saturday night, midnight on WoWo. Well, we've got a busy hour for you. Two interviews. Doug Ray Scott and Alan Tudyk will join Chuck Curry later on. Let's bring in Chuck right now. Without further ado, Chuck, tell us about these interviews coming up. Well, I thought they were both uh, really good. Doug Ray Scott uh, called in from England, British actor, handpicked by Tom Cruise to play the villain in Mission Impossible 2. He's got uh, a show from the BBC, British Broadcasting Corporation, that uh, aired in November, December in England, currently airing on the uh, Peacock Network. I got a chance to watch watch it. It was actually, uh, I thought it was pretty good. And then I got a chance to, the pleasure actually, to interview Alan Tunick, who uh, is a star resident alien, was in uh, Patch Adams' uh, Dodgeball, an underdog story, been the yeah, voice of the ten, ten, <laughs> 10 Disney characters, including uh, Wreck-It Ralph and also in Frozen. A delightful uh, person. I think people who get a chance to listen to these interviews will really enjoy them, Mike. Yeah, Resident Alien now on Netflix, too, the first two seasons. He's very talented. I loved him as the pirate in <laughs> in Dodgeball. But I think he's one of the best droid voices of all time in any Star Wars movie. And that's K2 Agreed. from Rogue One. He's uh, He had so many layers to that character. A very exciting uh, and excited to hear your interview coming up. So we're just going to... Uh, sprinkle things leading up to these two interviews with some uh, movie news and such. Uh, first off, I I did see the you know we had Eli Roth on uh, a couple weeks ago. Um, uh, you interviewed him and his new movie debuted the trailer. Did you get a chance to see the Borderlands trailer with Kate Planchett I, I did and uh, I, Kevin Hart? I, I did. I did last night. I'll give you my my view before you you give yours. Um, well, it's, it's, to me, it's like uh, Guardians of the Galaxy yes. meets Mad Max. <laughs> it's like yes. a combination uh, of those two movies. It, it, and, and you could tell, listen, uh, it's no secret uh, success breeds success. And, you know, copycat-itis uh, is, is rampant in, in the arts. And it really felt like they were aping uh, in the trailer. Not that this has anything to do with Eli Roth, because right. he probably is not responsible for the trailer. But it really felt like I was watching a spinoff of Guardians of the Galaxy when I watched that trailer. Yeah, and obviously it's based on a popular video game as well. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's good to see Kate Blanchett in that kind of role as uh, kind of the action badass. And, you know, she's not, uh, she's in her 50s, right? She's looking great. And she it's always, great. she's one of the best actresses we've got around uh, to see and her I, in this type of movie. I, w I would say this, you know, uh, Eli Roth, uh, who uh, promoted when I interviewed him, Thanksgiving, you got a chance uh, to watch that. It's currently on. Uh, it's currently on uh, net Netflix. Netflix. Yeah, yeah, and he did Cabin Fever. He's primarily known for you know uh, horror stuff. Hostile. This easily Badlands is the best cast in terms of A list profile talent. Kate Blanchett, uh, Kevin Hart, Jack Black is the voice of the robot in, in the trailer. That's the best high profile cast that Eli has ever worked with. I would yeah. say. Yeah, and uh, 
coming off that interview and the release of that movie, <clears throat> I did get a chance to watch Thanksgiving on Netflix. I was highly disappointed in the unimaginative uh, storyline. And uh, I get it. It's a slasher movie. It's supposed to be campy and fun. But uh, to tell you the truth, I there was no surprises. There was not that much fun. I did like the special effects that it was all, you know, there was no CGI or anything like that. That was enjoyable, but it really gives Patrick Dempsey nothing to do. And I got to tell you, the most rushed last 15 minutes of a movie I've seen in a long time, too, where things just jump around and make absolutely no sense as to who the killer is. Um, it's like they ran out of suspects, so it's got to be this one person. I, I you know, the, the lead is attractive and good. Um, but honestly, Chuck. For Eli Roth to put out something like that, I'd expect a little bit more from the guy who gave us Hostile and Cabin Fever. I listen. I like it more than you do. I, I don't think it's a great film, but I thought it was solid. And 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 you know, uh, audience survey polls show that uh, you, you would be in the minority. It it, it yeah. got good. It got good notices. Listen, it it made money. A sequel uh, will be will be shot and probably released in the next couple of years let's just hope eli's not listening to this uh podcast today <laughs> well the problem is is that you slap a <laughs> if you if you slap Ghostface on the killer it's just scream seven i mean it's yeah it's it a is carbon cool copy thing. it's attractive attractive actors and actresses who done it um you know kills gratuitous it's it really it is just like all the other scream movies no i understand now listen coming from the guy who said grease 2 is a classic I, you go back I and watch it, it. Did you go back and watch it? No, no but I'm gonna. And we're What's gonna, with I'm gonna... the trend of uh, yeah. re-releases hitting theaters, Chuck? I wanted to ask you. You know, we had Pixar's Turning Red. Tenet is getting re-released into theaters this weekend. I see a, a current trend here uh, of of these, I'm, and they're not even like huge movies that were like they need to be re-released. Like Pixar released Soul as well a couple sure, of weeks I'll tell back. You why. For Mark, what what what's the what's the trend here for? Because theaters need product. And those movies were released uh, during the COVID period, right. uh, so they didn't have they didn't they didn't get the bang for the buck that Pixar wanted to. You know they you know a lot of studios made the the conscious decision to do either straight to streaming or day to day. I think those two Pixar films went straight to stream in terms of tenant. That was a day to day. So they they so they did uh, a re release of tenant. Well, you know, well this version look- makes sense. Yeah, listen, uh, that's <laughs> never going to make sense. I, that's that movie's never. And you know, I'm going to tell you something that's interesting that you brought that up. Chris Nolan was asked in an interview about the coherency of Tenet, and he said, "Listen to this, Mike." He said, "It's not supposed. Everything in the movie's not supposed to be explained." You tell me what that means. <laughs> it means he can't explain it, so it's, deal with it. <laughs> uh, exactly. Yeah. Ex- ex- exa- listen, I, I, and I, I'll bounce into this. You know, I just watched the final episode of True Detective on on Max, right? And overall, the the, se- the six ep- episode uh, season with Jodie Foster, I, I I liked. I liked. I, I mean, I was into it. I, I liked it primarily because I thought at- atmospherically, uh, it was really good. I've always liked. Uh, movies and television shows that take place in a cold weather setting. And this did in the Antarctic uh, of Alaska. So I like the setting a lot, but a lot of things in this, in this storyline really could not be explained. They dwelled heavily. And I mean, heavily Mike into supernatural forces. And I, I didn't think a lot of the explanation in the last episode was what they called earned. I still like the series overall. They've renewed another season of, 
True Detective, which will be part five, probably air uh, either next year or the year after. And it'll have a totally different story as they all do in a new cast. But um, uh, I, and again, you know, when you talk about Thanksgiving, I like storylines where you could actually guess what's going on that has a resolution and a payoff that does does make sense. I think for the uh, repeatability, I, I think that's very important. Chuck, we're coming up on March, which has uh, Dune 2, Kung Fu Panda 4, Ghostbusters, you know, Godzilla and Kong uh, all coming up this next month. It's probably the last week before uh, minor releases hit theaters, the uh, spiritual Christian movie Ordinary Angels with uh, Hilary right. Swank getting good nods from uh, critics good. and uh, Driveaway Dolls, which stars a uh, very appealing young actress, uh, Andy McDowell's daughter, uh, Margaret Qualley, right. uh, yes. co-starring in this movie with Geraldine Viswanathan, who I always seem to like every time she's in a film as well. Uh, not both brothers, but one of the Coens, right, wrote this one? Yes. So, uh, very interesting release here. I'm sure it's not going to see too many eyes, but definitely two attractive and appealing leads in the roles here. Yeah, I'm curious to see what this weekend's box office numbers bring. As you said, you know, Ordinary Angels, uh, 80% positive on RottenTomatoes.com is right in the wheelhouse of that face-based crowd, which, listen, I support. I think this is a good, I think these are good products for the marketplace because we need diversity and wholesome uh, family entertainment that that pulls an emotional cord. I I think that's a good thing. Uh, I just so I just think- went to the National Religious Broadcasters Convention this week too. Um, and you'd be surprised at the amount of money and releases that are coming out from these studios. Uh, there's a there's a movie with Cuba Gooding Jr. coming out. Uh, right. that, that will hit theaters. I mean, it, there's major money here to be played, uh, despite the problems. Of uh, was it Sounds of Thunder and his and the producer of that movie seem to be having over and over again. Um, the Christian That's movies great. are not going away, and some of them are, no. are really really good, even if you're not faith based. Yeah, you know it's interesting when, when I when uh, I, I spoke to Neil McDonough, who was promoting the shift uh, a couple months ago. I asked him the question where he thinks uh, Angel Studios, which primarily releases this type of product, will be in in the decade, and he, without hesitation, Mike said they will flourish. Uh, yeah. They will be a major, uh, a major power uh, in the industry because they're giving, you know, a mass part of the populace something that they can't get from general Hollywood, which, you know, again, I, I embrace this. I think it's I think it's a, I think it's a good I think it's a good thing. And I, I'm rooting for Ordinary Angels to have a good opening weekend. I like Hillary Swank immensely. And, and I like um, uh, I like Alan Richardson also, who stars in uh, the very hit show on Amazon, uh, which is Reacher. Yeah, looks uh, looks like an appealing movie, and and usually movies like this do flourish, uh, especially with not that much competition out at the theaters. People uh, of Christian base will go see it, and, and maybe even some non-Christian based people will go see this movie. Sure, as well. I, I got I got I got a few I want you to bounce off of here. Uh, we, we were talked about a few weeks ago that David Leake, who directed uh, John Wick and Deadpool two, was in serious negotiation with Universal to helm uh, Jurassic World for uh the negotiations broke down he wound up walking i can only wonder why and it appears that garrett edwards director of godzilla 2014 in rogue one a star wars story um is now going to be the director of this new jurassic park film they're going to start filming mike uh, believe it or not in hawaii within a month no cast has been announced as of yet it will be in theaters next summer 
that is a very, and I mean a very quick turnaround. I, I think he could be the right director, though, for, for this material. Thoughts on that? Yeah. Yeah, I like them. Obviously, I'm a huge fan of Rogue One, uh, and he did create the creator that came out last year, which is just middling entertainment, nothing great. But I, I do like his style. I do like what he does. Uh, it, it'll be interesting interesting to see with just such a fast turnaround what's going to end up happening uh, to this type of movie. But, uh, yeah, to me, Rogue One is as good as any Star Wars movie um, and I would rank it right behind Empire as maybe one of the best. I'm a huge fan of that movie. So, and and that was one that was not supposed to be good, and it was really fascinating. So yeah, I think he's the right. Uh, even Godzilla has its moments. I don't think it's his fault that it's not uh, sparkling entertainment. Uh, it's not based on him. I just think that they went the wrong direction with the with the writing and the and the storytelling, um, especially you know doing the uh, the doing away with Brian Cranston in the you know first half of the film is not a good idea so but it, it wasn't his fault as i say uh per se true but technically that movie was brilliant yeah that, it, uh, that, looked it, that I will say. Yeah, it, ha- it, it has all sorts of issues you know the aaron johnson uh the, the main uh aaron taylor the, the johnson main ca- yeah. yeah aaron taylor johnson the, the main character in the movie is flat it, it's, yeah. it's not a good performance and, and he is flat and I, that does go on and let's face it, but it does have a lot of good moments. We don't see a lot of Godzilla. Let's face it. That's another problem too. Uh, It it doesn't only till the last portion of the film do we get to see a lot of uh, Godzilla in action. So, and you know, that's a disappointment, but uh, he, he definitely has a style that I like. Here's, here's one of, uh, I think this is interesting. Filming begins in May on uh, 28 years later which will be, uh, uh, they've done two movies in this franchise, 28 days later, 28 weeks later. Cillian Murphy starred in the original. Jeremy Renner was in the sequel. This is many, many uh, years ago. Now, Danny Danny Boyle, Danny Boyle, yeah. Danny Boyle, uh, back to direct, he directed the original one. And Alex Garland, who uh, currently will be helmed the new movie Civil War, which we're going to talk about uh, in a a few minutes, because I just watched trailer number two. He's going to write... Uh, according to production notes, although it has not been officially announced, the production notes say that starring Cillian Murphy. Are you surprised that we he would jump back in this end of the world zombie well after not with uh, da- possibly? No, we, you know, not with Danny Boyle, not with Danny Boyle mm. on tap to direct, okay. right? I mean, that's probably part of the reason. So I would think that that's what they're doing here for sure. So uh, no, not at all. Why not? Uh, he's you know he's high profile now and. I don't think this will be a low-profile type of film. There's a huge following for this. No, movie. Yeah, I agree. They they say the budget will be uh, sixty million dollars. They plan on doing a uh, trilogy. Now, talking about budgets, this is this is uh, this is twofold. Really interesting. This broke this week. Uh, this is the first, according to the Hollywood uh, Trade Variety. The next story is from Hollywood Reporter. According to Variety, Warner Brothers Joker Two, Mike, now has a budget <laughs> exceeding two hundred million dollars go back to joker in 2021 the budget was 60 million it did over a billion worldwide uh according to the trade uh joker 2 joaquin phoenix salary is 20 million lady gaga who plays holly quinn her salary is 12 million i would assume todd phillips the director uh has got to be getting between 10 and 15 million minimum to direct where's the other 100 million going is it the, the craft service budget <laughs> has uh has ballooned here's the thing if this movie does big business like the first one, nobody's going to care if the budget was sixty million or two hundred. I mean, they're not. But I do say to myself, when a movie hits, obviously a lot of people involved want to get paid, and I think this is a lot of creative bookkeeping. Some of the executive producers, 
you know, their paychecks go up incrementally. Uh, extra, you know, they, they're just making more money. But $200 million, I don't think that's a massive gamble on Joker 2, despite the fact there'll be no Batman, there'll be no, uh, a, a lot, you know, no Batmobile, no, no, no uh, Batcave. Uh, you know, where they're spending this money, I don't know. Now, before you respond to that, I want you to listen to this one. This is a bigger one, I think. According to The Hollywood Reporter, the budget for Gladiator 2, which is directed by Ridley Scott, initially was $165 million. Now, it had a delay due to the writers and actors strike, which cost them over $10 million. But the budget has ballooned, according to the trade Hollywood Reporter, to $310 million. So I think this is a little bit more concerning than Joker 2's $200 million. You have thoughts on these two stories? I, I'd like to see an itemized list uh, for tax purposes on what they're, like you said, what are they spending this money <laughs> yeah, on? I know. I mean, I, 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 it doesn't make any sense because, I mean, look how successful the the original Joker was. Um, the, the only thing different is Lady Gaga. So one would one would beg to ask the question, is she the reason? But uh, I don't know, Chuck. It, it, listen, I mean, it, we, we, I mean, people in the audience could say, you know, what do we care what they spend? But, you know, it is part of the industry. And one of the things that, you know, yourself and my, myself have preached in the last couple of years, the biggest issue that the industry faces in terms of making f- movies is the production budgets. They're, yeah, c- they're yeah. completely out of control. You know, I, d- I did a when I did a spot yesterday on, on the morning spot I, I do, uh, I, w- I, I did this uh, week in movie history and I went back to 1958 and Bridge on the River Kwai won the Golden Globe for Best Picture, right? The budget on that movie, Mike, was $3 million. And it did $39 million at the box office, which is equivalent to over $300 million if you discount inflation. So, right. you know, we talk about this all the time in the 70s. You know, they were producing movies for, you know, three to five million dollars and they were hitting 50 million dollar plus box office numbers. It just I understand and I do understand inflation and I do understand modern day greed. But, you know. From a budget going from 165 million to Gladiator two to 310, it just it's just you know the 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 risk here is it better get good reviews. This yeah. better be a good movie. It better because if it's not a good movie, then that that gamble um uh will be t- will be telling. You know if the movie is well, really, really good, that's it a different st- story. Will it go straight to Prime? At some point, <laughs> you spend three hundred ten million dollars, and then they just throw it on Prime Video uh, instead, right? I mean, um, they let me they ask just, you a question. They're spending deleted, money like it's like it's water. I, I'm not for Paul Paul Mes, Mescal. Uh, he he plays the grown up Lucas character from the first from the first film, right? Yeah, from from the first film. He he's the star. I'm not familiar with him. Are you familiar with him? Uh, I know he's an Irish kid. I mean, I, I haven't seen, I mean, no, not really. I mean, Denzel Washington, Denzel Washington is going to play a major part in this film. From what I read, his character will be a former gladiator who, uh, uh, is, is now very wealthy who seeks revenge. That's, that's the plot line or the synopsis on his cat. Listen, Denzel Washington casting is going to give this film a, a, a lot of weight. And you know what I said last week? According to the trades, Paramount is a static over the daily. So, listen, I'm sure this is going to be a good movie. But again, yeah, you know, production budgets are what they are. They're 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 uh, they're not kept in check. And, and also the trade well, and they, did but, say but, but, it's an but, out of control project. Yeah, but I wonder project. how many people walking into the theater know what a budget of a movie is. Anyway. They don't. I mean, no, they most don't. don't. Most, most they, they 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 hear they either hear they either ha- hear hype 
on the good because side or the not the, yeah, good side. Yeah. Right. Yep. And By the Paul way, Pascal, did you get a, he did do a series with that uh, Daisy Edgar Jones, that the okay. normal people series is on that. I did see him in a movie with uh, uh, called Foe, saw it on an airplane, science fiction movie. I mean, he does have some appeal on screen. I don't know. Uh, we'll see what happens. Uh, I do. I did see some of normal people because of her and that was good. So he's got, he's got some charm, I guess. Cool. I got a question for you. Did you get a chance to see the second trailer to a 24 civil war? Yeah. Um, this is a problem. Um, I, you know, we talked about it a few months ago when the first one broke and this one's not much different. In fact, they show, it's, it's hard, it's hard they to show believe the they're not going for, they show the Lincoln Memorial getting, um, blown up right. um i got a mm-hmm. problem with this movie a, a huge one i don't know what and when we I talked about it, i don't know who they're trying to appeal to uh, this country's fragile enough as it is um we've got an election year some people believe if the right person doesn't win in november things like this might start to happen um is this a cautionary tale i'm sure that's what they'll say but at the same time is this entertainment? Is this entertainment, Chuck? Are we entertained watching something like this? Because I sure as hell wasn't watching the trailers. I got to I gotta tell you, when I watched the second trailer, the thing that popped in my mind is they're clearly trying to rile up a craft storm, mm-hmm. uh, which is, uh, just say the least. Mm-hmm. And um, they're trying to fuel into uh, division in this country in a very serious way. And I'm actually surprised that a studio like A24 and uh, director Alex Garland would go in this direction for monetary gain. But it, it appears that the bean counters uh, have, have said orchestrating with the people who are cutting these first two trailers that we could get, we can make some real bank on the, on, on this film, we free advertising on the basic cable uh, channels with this film. And and uh, and and also on on radio. Oh, well, and we're talking well, about it now, giving them free advertising, right? Because yeah. this is a hot button. This is a hot button movie. This will be a hot button movie. I'm surprised we haven't heard more in the media uh, at this point about this movie. But based on that second trailer, um, it, it's it's perplexing to say the least. Now you know we're both going to see it. We're both going to see this movie, and it has it is it is booked, Mike. It is booked a lot of IMAX screens. Are you surprised at that? Uh, no, uh, I, I just, I, I don't, I, I, I don't know what to say about it. I really don't. Cause it, it bothers me. It, it's going to open April 12th, right around, you know, right around Easter. Um, I, I, I mean, why not go, why not go all the way and release it November 5th and, you know, and, uh, yeah. And, and well, really... I don't think, listen, based on the trail, I, I don't, I, I don't think it's a cautionary tale. I don't. Right. Um, it's and then it, I mean, I curiosity, people will see what direction they go. I guess I'm sure they're going to show both sides being or sides. I just look, this is a movie podcast, but daily, I wonder why Americans continue to pick fights against Americans, either side, whatever you're talking about. I just don't understand it. Um, and that's, that's where we are. Um, but the fact that one presidential candidate will say this our side against their side and they're talking about fellow americans when they say their side it that hurts my heart chuck it really does and nobody's stopping it 
and you got two geriatrics going to run for president. Nobody's stopping that. Um, yeah, we, we deserve what we get. We do. Um, you know, it's almost it was, hard. To, it's almost hard to believe we were going down this. Uh, if it was Nikki Haley against rush. Gavin Newsom, if it was Nikki Haley yeah. against Gavin Newsom, this country would be in a better spot. That's all I'll say. That's all I'll say. And I'm not even telling you which side I vote for or anything, but if it was Nikki Haley versus Gavin Newsom, the rhetoric would be toned down so, so much. And a movie like this wouldn't matter or maybe even get made. And the fact that we have people in power letting these two people run again, that's a problem. It's a problem. Yeah, I mean, listen, the world the world has turned into a WWE uh, event. It really has. The, uh, it's on, a, on a reality da- a daily, series. On a, on a daily basis. And, uh, you know, whatever, you know, get, gets, gets our goat up, uh, you know, that seems to be the theme of, of the day. Bouncing into something different, Mike. Walking give me something light. One, give me something light. Just give I, me I'm something gonna, fun. Tomorrow night, Sunday night, uh, as as we we speak, Walking Dead: The Ones Who Live oh, premieres. Oh the return of uh, the, the return of Andrew Grimes, played played by no no Rick Grimes, excuse me, played by <laughs> Andrew Lincoln for the first time I think in four years. How excited uh, I am! I'm excited. Uh, I, I am. I'm know, serious. I don't even know where to begin. Like literally, I don't know where to begin. Where did this series start? <laughs> <laughs> is this the walking dead? Is this the, yeah. the, 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 the among the walking dead is a battle for the walking you. dead. Is this before a conquest I, for the walking dead? Bo, I, bo, I can't before, keep track <laughs> before I quickly, ba- before I quickly bounce into something else uh, and, and, and prep my, my day to watch Greece too. Um, <laughs> hey, it's simple. Start, you watch you Greece see, and Greece. You watch Greece and yeah. Greece too, and then you're done. You're free to go about <laughs> your business and do whatever you want here. Uh, you got to invest in 18 different series to get caught up. Um, I'm going to ask you a favor. One day this summer, I want you to binge watch. One week, I want you to binge watch the original Walking Dead with your daughter. Yeah, uh, no, it's not going to happen. And then we'll talk. You're this talking about one of the greatest happen. television shows to ever. Yeah, La- last no. thing here. Maybe so. La- Maybe so. Last thing here. Tom Cruise going to uh, star in Alejandro uh, Iratu's next film at Warner Brothers and Legendary Pictures. Uh, he won the Oscar for directing The Revenant. Uh, Tom Cruise... Uh, according to the trades, Tom Cruise is now very interested in doing more, some more serious projects as he would like to eventually win an Oscar. Tom Cruise, Mike, has been nominated for six Oscars, Jerry Maguire, A Few Good Men, Color Money, The Firm, Born on the Fourth of July, and uh, Magnolia. Yep. Um, I miss on all of them. Yeah, I mean, listen, I would say Born on the Fourth of July was his best chance there. Although I'm a big fan of uh, Jeremy. Those are all good uh, mo- movies. The movie actually. he should have got nominated for, he didn't because of Dustin Hoffman. He was, I mean, he's every bit as good in Rayman as Dustin Hoffman is too. And uh, you can only, I mean, obviously he would have gotten a supporting actor nomination in that, but he was overshadowed by the performance of Dustin Hoffman. I, yeah. I mean, it, he's, he's Magnolia. It, he's great. I mean, all these performances are yeah. not, not bad. They're real good actually. And, and and listen, I would assume his bank account's big enough where yeah. he could do other projects where he doesn't yeah. need to get, you know, twenty million plus, uh, you know, twenty percent of the of 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 the uh, the gross. There's also stories that uh, that he's very interested in trying to land a part in Quentin Tarantino's next film, The Film Critic, which is going to star uh, Brad, Brad Pitt. Pitt. Listen, yeah. if he wants to do it, I'd be surprised. Like if you know, I know Tarantino is on an island of ego by himself, but you know, if Tom Cruise wants to get involved in that project, how do you say no? Right. 
Well, we got two great interviews coming up. Do you have any this day that we need to do before we wrap things up here and send them to Doug Ray Scott and Alan Tudyk? I, I don't because uh, there's no rich man, poor man, and nothing to do with all in the family. <laughs> but I, one other, one real quick thing: we're a month away from uh, production start on Superman Legacy. I, I knew I knew I wanted to bring that up because I know your love of Superman and superhero movies. I'm going to tell you something very quick before we move on. Months ago, I always come into my shop in my business and put on superhero movies all the time. I, I must have watched The Flash 40 times. And I, and I always would put on Batman Begins and Tim Burton's Batman. When I pick up the remote control and I think about doing it, Mike, it's almost like uh, that drug for quit, sm- quit smoking. I sort of get a little nauseous. And it, it makes me say to myself, like, I do need a break from superhero movies. Um, <laughs> and I almost, I almost wish that James Gunn would have waited at least another year to put this into production. I, I just, it feels a little too soon. Yeah, we all need a we all need a breather. There's no doubt about it, uh, Chuck. There's no doubt about it. Um, all right, well, set these up again. Doug Ray Scott and Alan Tudyk back to back. What are they promoting? Uh, Doug Ray Scott is promoting uh, Vigil on Peacock, and uh, Alan uh, Tunick is promoting Resident Alien, which could be seen Wednesday nights on the Sci Fi Channel. Next day on Peacock, and also season one and two currently being streamed as we speak, Mike on uh netflix and hulu he's a terrific people uh terrific people i enjoyed thoroughly speaking to them all right do great scott and alan tunick coming up right now on movie moments on the line today a really special guest a well-respected and accomplished actor do gray scott do gray has been a working actor for over three and a half decades appearing in such high profile Movies such as Mission Impossible 2, which he did in 2000, played the villain opposite Tom Cruise under the direction of John Woo. Ever After, a very popular film he did in 1998 with Drew Barrymore. Deep Impact, Taken 3, was excellent in the television series called Criminal. Dugray currently doing the rounds promoting season two of the BBC series Vigil, which is currently airing on the streamer Peacock. Welcome to the program, Dugray. Pleasure to speak to you. Pleasure to speak to you, too. Thanks for having me on. Sure. Now, I got a chance to watch Vigil over the weekend. It's six episodes. It uh, it had its run in the U.K., uh, I believe, in November and December. It's currently airing on the Peacock Network stream. I got to tell you, I liked it very much. Uh, it takes place in Scotland. Season one takes place on a submarine. Season two takes place on a military base in the surrounding area. Just explain to the audience the basic premise of season two and how your character fits in the overall storyline. Well, well, I play a character called Air Vice Marshal Granger, and he's responsible for the relationship between the British government and Wujian, who's this fictional country in the Middle East. And he um, is responsible for the weapons sales uh, to these countries, which is worth billions of pounds per year, so it's a very important relationship. And in this particular day, they're conducting a weapons test uh, with uh, remotely piloted aircraft systems, which is called ARPACs, which is kind of like a drone, uh, a weaponized drone. And they have all the dignitaries from Wujian who are in attendance. It's normally all over, and it's basically a show and tell. And it's a very sort of glitzy um, event, and everything goes terribly wrong. Uh, there's you know explosions, people die, and it's uh, it's a disaster for for him personally and for the British government. So. And then it becomes about repairing the relationship between Rajan, but the police get involved. They come in, led by uh, D.I. Silva, played by 
Lorraine Jones, and then she comes in to investigate what happened, who was motivated to commit these atrocities. And, uh, of course, it's a murder investigation as well. And so then it sort of takes, so it takes them to Wujan, which is in the Middle East, and they get involved with these, uh, you know, these dissident groups as well. So it's, a, it's a political story. It's a, an action story. It's a geopolitical um, story about the relationships between the United Kingdom and, uh, and Wujan. And so it's, it's kind of had something for everyone. And you're not quite sure right up until the end what happened in the U.S. responsible. Yeah, I mean, I, I liked it uh, immensely. Tell me about uh, actress Suzanne Jones. I know she's very popular and well-respected in the U.K. She's the lead in this uh, series. Yeah. She's, she's yeah. quite, quite good. Tell me about her. She's terrific. She, I mean, we got on very, very well. We laughed a lot together, and she's done a lot of fantastic uh, shows in the United Kingdom. And um, she was, you know, wonderful to work with. I had a great time. We laughed a lot, which is very important when you're working with someone for months on end. And uh, she's, she's a wonderful professional, and um, I, I love working with her very much. You've been in the, in the business for, and by the way, uh, we're on the line with uh, Dugray Scott promoting season two of Vigil, currently airing uh, six episodes to binge on the Peacock streamer. You've been in the business for three and a half decades. You, you've seen a lot. Give me, your, give me your thoughts on streaming and the world of uh, television shows and movies post-COVID with the blow-up of streaming. I know this, this, you know, it's a path of so much opportunity for actors, directors, producers, writers. Tell me, tell me, give me your thoughts on that. I think in some ways it's really good because it gives an opportunity for a lot more people than it did perhaps in the past with television because in the past you, you had the, the main networks in America and then you had maybe HBO and um, uh, Stars, you know, started quite a long time ago, but now there's you know, so many streamers that are around. So in some ways, the audiences have so much to get to in order to find the really quality material. Uh, so that right. can be a negative sometimes because there's so much, you know, mediocrity around as well. Um, but another way, the film service has come to replace the independent movie scene, which used to be very, very um, active and healthy. And, um, you know, I used to be involved in the independent, well, I still am, but uh, one used to, to, to get to make independent movies. That's a little bit more challenging these days. I think the, the, the people who made independent movies to uh, streaming, and the mainstream have moved into streaming services as well, because, you know, you have Marvel and uh, DC, and they make TV shows as well, so they moved out of, uh, you know, making movies as well. So... I think there's advantages and there's disadvantages to, to having so much product available for people to see. Um, but as I said before, sometimes you have to wade through some not very good television in order to find the, the cream of that. Um, but that's I, you know, I, I got... You know. I got to tell you, I, I agree with that assessment 100%. You know, here in the States, I, uh, I'm actively involved with a nonprofit movie theater, and I, and I agree with you, you know, the independent product that flourished, you know, a decade or more ago has really uh, dissipated tremendously. And you see a lot of uh, a lot of really good work not playing in movie theaters and the, and, and, and the ability to finance th this stuff has gotten much, much 
harder. Let's reflect, uh, and again, we're on the line with Dugray Scott promoting Vigil, which is currently on the Peacock Network. Let's reflect a little bit on your career. 2000, you're in Mission Impossible 2. You're handpicked by Tom Cruise to play the main villain. Give me, give me an idea. The last scene in that film, that fight sequence between you and Tom Cruise, knife to the eyeball, how difficult was that scene to shoot? Well, it was challenging. It took a long time to film it. I think it took about <clears throat> four weeks to shoot that scene. Uh, lots of different camera setups and the scale of the, the sequence, Tom and John wanted to be you know, pretty magnificent and memorable and unforgettable. So we took a long time to shoot it. Listen, we'd been training for a long time, getting physically fit, uh, fighting, you know, uh, the, the combat stuff. So it's a lot of preparation when it started months and months beforehand. So, you know, you put so much into movies like that. So, um, and I think that shows in the finished product because it's such a well-rounded, yes. uh, exciting, dynamic movie with, with a terrific script. You know, Robert Pound is one of the greatest screenwriters in America. Um, you know, he's a Chinatown. So working with someone like him is really interesting because... You're not just playing a stock villain, you're playing someone who has a history, who has a past, who has a dynamic nature to him. And so he operates on a subtextual level as well as a sort of, uh, you know, a present level. So from, a, from an acting point of view, it's really interesting to get to play a character like that. And I think that having a writer like, you know, Robert Penn write a movie like Mission Impossible 2 was to our advantage and, you know, for the audience's advantage as well, I think. Got it. Now, here, here's a speaking of screenwriters, you played Arthur Miller twice. One in the film, My Week with Marilyn, uh, opposite Michelle Williams. Great movie. And it also did it. You played the role in the short, it, It's Me, Sugar. What interested you enough about Arthur Miller to do that? And did you find out anything surprising about him when you played him? Yeah, I find out a lot of stuff about him. I mean, listen, I knew a lot about Arthur Miller already because I guess you could say I got involved with acting because of Arthur Miller. You know, I read Death of the Salesman when I was quite young, you know, 13 or 14, and my father was a salesman. So I made the connection between um, that character, Little Wilma, and my dad, and so I fell in love with Arthur Miller. And he was a guy who was writing in Brooklyn and in America, and yet what he was writing you know, connected with me on such a level it just really was like a thunderbolt for me. And, and then I realized at once, in a nanosecond, the importance of great writing and great writing could connect people across continents and across cultures and make us understand that, you know, there's so many more similarities than there are differences in the world. And so I understood the power and how important uh, great writing was. So I kind of knew quite a lot about it. I might have Time Bend, um, which is his autobiography, and knew all his plays, and so playing him was a bit surreal for me because um, I was getting to play the person who kind of was really responsible for me getting into acting in the first place. So it was great. It was fun. I mean, my with the Marlin was was different from the short. The short was kind of a, a comedy, but um, very good. It was yeah. I I loved playing Arthur Miller. I had a great time. And then also working with Michelle. Michelle was so wonderful as. Um, is uh, Marlon Monroe, really terrific. Again, on the line with uh, Doug Ray Scott, uh, one of the stars of the uh, Peacock show Vigil, currently uh, streaming. Now, you did the series Criminal in the UK uh, a few years ago. Uh, it's a very emotional role. Do you have a process to get 
into that role emotionally because you had so many really good sequences in that film where you had to sort of pour your yeah. soul out. How do you how you get into that character? Uh, the, the crime, the, the huge crime over Marshall. Well, that was a kind of an interest because I produced that and developed that with my partner, okay. Tony Wood, and we took a long time to get that onto the screen. And it was, it was a lot of research, a lot of, you know, really sort of being curious about that world that that uh, character occupies, you know, D.I. Lennox, who was a cop in the Edinburgh Police Force, and he was obsessed with these men who had um, abducted these young women, and so it became very personal for him, and so it's pretty dark, and so one ends up watching a lot of documentaries about that subject matter, so it's not for the faint-hearted. As an actor, right. I think you have to commit to something. There's no point in going into something half-hearted, at least not for me. And I think you have Got to it. dive into the deep end, and you can't really stop, you know, searching for the truth throughout that whole process, whether that's before you start filming and during it as well. So it kind of goes on and on and on and on until you finish, and then after you finish, you're still thinking about it. So, but I mean, listen, Got it's it. rewarding because it worked out really well, and it did. It was very successful that show. Yeah, uh, you did. You did great work on that show. You really did. I, I'm curious. I got a question here. I'm really curious about this. In 1998, you're in the movie Deep Impact. I, I love that film. Tia Leone, yeah. directed by Mimi Ledger. I think she's a fantastic talent as a director. I think she should have worked yeah. a lot more. Did a lot of work on on ER. It, it always appeared that your part in that movie, uh, some of it was left on the cutting room floor. I, am I <laughs> am I yeah. correct in that assessment? Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, well, that happens, you know. It's like, you know, I, I, these things happen in movies. And, uh, I know. Sometimes the character gets cut out, and it's not anything to do with what you were doing. It's just the way that the, the story works, and how when they get into the editing, editing suite. So I love Mimi. I work with Mimi again on something else. So I think she's an amazing director. And uh, I do, too. I, 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 think, I think she's an amazing talent. Yeah, she is wonderful. And Tia as well. We have a, we laughed a lot as well on that set, so that was a good thing. Very good. Again, on the line with Duray Scott, uh, one of the stars of Vigil on season two on Peacock. My last question: I just read uh, in the newspaper um, that uh, you've been chosen and graciously accepted to be to lead the, a parade in New York City on April sixth. The Taunton Parade, in which 1,500, yeah. 1500 bagpipers, <laughs> Scottish dancers, Scottish clan will uh, march in New York City. Uh, tell, tell me how you got that gig. Tell me about that. Well, they asked me. They asked me if I would um, be the Grand Marshal, and I think there's a tradition amongst um, <clears throat> people in the public eye in Scotland to, to be asked to lead the parade, and uh, Brian Cox had done it before, Aaron Gillen, Billy Connolly, so uh, I was delighted. I thought, what a great idea, and it, get, it gives me a chance to wear a kilt as well, which I don't get the chance to very often, so... I thought, I mean, it's a great parade. I've, I've you know, seen it on the television before, so I'm you know, very honored to be asked to do it, and so I'm, I'm very much looking forward to it. I, I also saw on the Internet, uh, I, I pulled it up, it popped up, you were holding a 500-year-old football, or as we call it in the States, a soccer ball. Tell me about that. Well, I made a documentary for the BBC about the, the, the history of Scottish football and the history of football and where it originated from. And of course, England have always claimed it to be their sport, their game that they uh, invented. Well, actually, the truth is that it was actually Scotland. Scotland invented the modern game. So really, the documentary is about uncovering those facts. But 
the oldest football in existence happens to uh, reside at Sterling Castle. So that, that's where you Very cool. Very, very cool. Uh, again, on the line, Duray Scott, Vigil Season 2. Duray, a, a pleasure to speak to you. All the best in future endeavors. I had a great time talking to you. Yeah, me too. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Currently listening to my interview with Alan Tudyk, who's a star of Resident Alien, uh, promoting Season 3 on the Sci-Fi Network. On the line today, really special guest, extremely talented actor, Alan Tudyk. Alan, well-known for doing terrific work in movies like A Knight's Tale back in 2001, Dodgeball, uh, An Underdog Story in 2004, along with his great voice work, being the character of uh, K2 in a Star a Rogue One, A Star Wars Story, Wreck-It Ralph, and also known for the uh, popular uh, cult, uh, cult uh, TV show Firefly back in 2002. Alan currently doing the rounds promoting season three of his show, the really fun sci-fi comedy Resident Alien, which currently airs on the Sci-Fi Channel Wednesday night. You can currently binge season one and two of Resident Alien on Netflix and Hulu. Alan, thanks for coming on. How you doing? Hey, man, I'm good. I'm good. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Pleasure to speak to you. Now, this show, I, I've, I've binged most of it. i got to tell you, I find it very enjoyable. It takes place in small-town America, the setting. Colorado, you play an alien from another planet who comes to Earth, takes over a body uh, on a mission to do some terrible things. But as the show goes on, start to uh, start to grow a heart and connect with the people you're involved in. When you got involved in this show, I'm curious, was it was the part written for you? Did you audition? How, how did this all come about when you did the first season? Yeah, I just auditioned. It was a it was a, a role that evidently they couldn't cast. Uh, I didn't. I mean, when it came, when I when I got it, I just did it the way I thought it was supposed to be done. And according to Chris Sheridan, who created the show, he said that he had written the role without really knowing how to play the role. And he said when he met me, he went, oh, that's it. <laughs> so uh, it just lucked out. It just, I guess it was a meant-to-be meeting of the two of us. Now, in terms of the the, the cast, uh, you know, uh, when you initially did this program, you know, a lot of un unknowns on the on this show. There's an actress named uh, Sarah Tomko who plays Asta. Yeah. she's extremely appealing. Uh, extremely appealing uh, actress on this program. Give me an idea of of your enjoyment working with this cast on Resident Alien. It's great. Everybody is uh, very gung ho for this show. You know, it's it's you think you think that people would be like that when you. <laughs> when you're doing a show or a movie that everybody's on board, and like, let's make the best version of this that we can. Uh, it's not always the case. Uh, but with this show, everybody is really invested and fighting for their own characters. You know, they, they're... Fighting sounds wrong. They're, they're just... Um, <laughs> they're, you know, they're there to, they're there to, to tell this story and, uh, and love it and, and make it make, you know, make people love it as much as, as they do, which is, is a great way to come to work. Sure. Now, I would describe yeah. the show, but just, just off the top of my head, it's sort of like Northern Exposure meets Starman. Is that a, is that a fair assessment? Uh, how would you categorize If you had to categorize this show, how would you categorize it? Yeah, that sounds about right. With a little dude, where's my car? I don't know. <laughs> there's also, there's also a, there's a, it doesn't get too, I mean, it's, it's, it's absurd. It's absurd. There, you know, the, the, the character is, 
uh, my the character I play, the alien, is stupid. In a, in a, he's very smart, but also very stupid. Uh, he doesn't understand simple things about the human race because he wasn't planning on uh, meeting anybody. He was just going to kill everybody with a bomb uh, that just destroys the humans and leaves the planet intact. And uh, when he crashes, he has to mix among them, and so he's having to learn on the fly. So he watches uh, Law and Order and uh, Which is very figures funny. out how to use his mouth because he's an alien. He he actually looks very different. So the whole physiology is different, so he has to figure out how to talk and walk and what's important and what isn't important and what slang is. So there's a, there's a lot of fun and silliness within the show as well. Yeah, yeah, I, you know, I noticed one because I just rewatched uh, season one, the first episode. And, I, you know, what took me back is that, you know, you're not a good dude. In the in the first episode, and that's what it threw me. Uh, you know, it, it's like this, you know this guy's not a good guy, but obviously as the show goes on, that's the the whole idea is to soften the the hard shell of your of your uh, yeah. character. Now, now you you've been in this business for for two and a half decades. Uh, let's just reminisce for a sec. Nineteen ninety eight, your first film appearance. You do a group therapy scene in the beginning of Patch Adams with uh, the late yeah. great. Robin Williams. Now, I would argue Robin Williams probably had one of the most uh, iconic, interesting, genius minds in the history of life. You're on the set with yeah. him and also the late Michael Jeter. Give me your thoughts. Yeah. What do you remember be- doing that scene with, with, with Robin Williams and Michael Jeter? The scene itself was a lot of fun. Um, we were encouraged to improv by uh, Robin. Uh, and so I, I got a line in the movie, which I was very excited by, because we're, we're all very, we're all just coming up with this. There's a guy who's comatose who has his arm uh, raised, and Patch Adams, played by Robin, is going, oh, I don't know, maybe he has a question. And we all laugh, and the doctor's saying, stop, don't, don't make fun of his infirmity. He's like, no, maybe, maybe he does. We don't know. And then we're all riffing on why is his hand up and... Uh, and so we all got to play along with Robin. And then, but for me, there was a break in the day, the next day or so, that I was hanging out with Michael Jeter. Uh, he was just standing by a window, and I went over and I said, what are you doing, man? And he said, oh, you know, I'm just looking at the window. And he put on this character voice. He's like, I'm just looking at the window and seeing the day. And just, it's a beautiful one, don't you think? And I said... Do I think? I know. This day is so beautiful. It's my favorite one so far. Yesterday, that one sucked. And then Robin came over, and he's like, what are we doing? And he got the, then he put on a similar voice. And then the voice changed, and we went around and around and around, just changing the character every time. And, man, for that for my career, that was one of the greatest days of my life, because those two I, I guys can, were I can only... brilliant. Yeah, I can only yeah. imagine. Now you've done a lot of you've done so much diverse work. Let's go back. Let's go to 2013, 42. Um, this had to be oh, a yeah. difficult project for you to take on, simply because it's the Jackie Robinson story. Uh, it's 1947 America. Uh, you're talking about segregation. Jackie Robinson breaking the baseball. You play the manager of the Cleveland Indians, Ben Chapman, who uh, is not a good guy, obviously, uh, but he's living the life that he knew and your dialogue in this movie is racially charged to say the least were you did you have reservations about taking that role and when you took it how did you get in the mindset to play that character 
It's a, uh, yeah, so he's, Ben Chapman, um, he, they wrote down what he said. So he, he would, he would stand outside the dugout and he would yell things at Jackie Robinson to get him off his game, uh, because he was integrating white only baseball. And, um, they wrote it down. So it was all this terrible language that was, you know, historic, historically accurate. Um, to get into the mindset was not great. I would have to, uh, because to say those words, you know, just imagine, if you haven't seen it, just imagine the worst things. <laughs> say those things. Um, I found that uh, they brought tears to my eyes because they're, they're violent. There's a violence to them. And uh, I had to get that, I had to get make that stop or else I couldn't do the role. So I would watch, this is terrible, but this is how I figured it out. Uh, I watched street fights on the Internet where somebody who didn't want to be in the street fight and somebody who just wanted to beat him up. And I'd watch somebody get basically victimized. And if after I watched about three or four of those, I could say whatever I wanted and I wouldn't, I didn't have any more. I'd like put like a hardness in my stomach and I could say those awful things. Isn't that terrible? I was in a uh, bad mood for days No, and days no, uh, understand. Listen, role. 42 is a great film, but it's a hard movie to rewatch because of, you know, the dialogue. Yeah. Is so disturbing, but the character obviously you play is is necessary in the film. Uh, on the line with Alan Tunick, uh, promoting Resident Alien season three. You can catch it on Sci Fi Channel. You can binge season one and two on Netflix and Hulu. Now, Alan, we're 20 years removed from the release of Dodgeball and Underdog Story. Why <laughs> is the Hollywood system not making movies like Dodgeball? in 2024. I mean, it's almost like comedies don't exist in the theatrical studio system anymore. What do you think's going on here? I don't know. You know, comedies used to be made for a lot more money. They put more money in, and uh, then that changed. Dodgeball was one of the first ones to, to change, to bring the to bring it down, and it was a success. And then, I don't know. It's, it's like comedy has become more... Um, uh, absurd and uh, really, the, there's a lot of edgy comedy out there, which I think is fun and funny. But there isn't a, a the mainstream comedies aren't being made. Uh, even even on Netflix and stuff, they're 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 just not. I don't know. They've been handed over to TV. Uh, I I wish they would. I, I I don't know if nobody's writing them or it's probably they're being written. It's just that. They don't see the math to make them work. You know, it's just like any yeah, big business I, I, where they're like, you know what? If we make a big action movie, we make this much money when they pay off. So we want to. They want to gamble for the big, big dough. Yeah, I, I you know, I, I've interviewed many a uh, celebrity, and you know, the consensus always seems to be the one who speak honestly is that the studio system is not concerned with sitting doubles, and they're just shooting for the home run project theatrically you know in my mind's eye the thought that beverly hills cop 4 will be a straight to netflix release i mean personally to me i find that perplexing but this is a landscape that we live in i I do think the fact that your show resident alien uh can currently be binged on netflix and hulu is a great that is that is what i love about streaming because you do really good work it initially airs on the sci-fi channel and now you get a much broader audience that gets gets to rediscover it this year as we speak on netflix and hulu can you expand on that it's fantastic that's that's new that's new for us um you know we've just been on sci-fi and then on p 
Peacock. It, it shows on Peacock the day after, so we're on Wednesday tonight, and then Thursdays it will be on Peacock. But they've they've opened it up to Netflix, and it's been great. You know, we've been in the top ten since we got on there, and I see. That. I can only hope that that you know what that means for the future of the show that it would give us some legs to hopefully make more of these uh, a season four. But I don't know how all the <laughs> like. It, all, all of the, the streaming, moving it here and moving it there, is all an attempt by the networks to maximize their profit. And so I don't know what those numbers are, how that all works. So I'll just... Yeah, but I think in that aspect, yeah, I think in that aspect, it's a good thing. Real quick, your voice work. Uh, you were K2 in yeah. Rogue One, a Star Wars story. You did great work. Wreck-It yeah. Ralph, Moana. Yeah. How do you get, how do you define... The, vo- the final voice, how do you know that is the right voice that's going to work for that character? Like, give me the process real quick. Uh, it's interesting. I'm doing one right now. So I've got a, so they sent me the script, and I read that, and that gives you the most. Uh, who the personality is, all of those things, you know, what they do, how they speak, different quality to the, their language. Uh, and then you need an image, uh, either the illustrated image and that gives you uh, the bulk of it because, um, I mean, with Disney, when we do, um, I've done a few of them, the Duke of Wesselton and Frozen. So they showed me this picture of this old man and he had a little toupee. And so he started out as an old man. Oh, hello, I'm this old man. So he was just a general old man. And then as he went on, he was the Duke and he had, he had, he, was pride, he had a lot of pride. It's the it's Wesselton, not Weasel Town. And he said, he just became a little bit more uh, indignant and more of kind of a persnickety uh, guy. And then after doing that for about a half hour, they're like, great, let's record. <laughs> Let me record. And uh, that's kind of how it happens. It's just, you just interesting, very back interesting. and forth. Yeah, follow that, follow that. Do that some more, do that some more. Yeah, 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 that, that, that. They'll laugh and... When people are laughing, you know that you're on the right thing, and then you record, and you get it. That's, Very uh, good. Al- Alan, i, I got to tell you, pleasure talking to you. You're a super talented guy. i got to tell you, I'm a fan. I'm very familiar with your work. Uh, folks, check out Resident Thanks, Alien man. Season 3 on Sci-Fi, 1 and 2, Resident Alien Seasons, Netflix, and Hulu. Alan, best of luck in all future endeavors. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to Movie Moments with Chuck Curry and Mike Rags. Download and listen to an archive show or be sure to subscribe to our podcast on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you listen to podcasts to hear our new episode.